Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to this week of the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of introducing you all to Leanne McLennan. So Leanne, can you say hi to the listeners? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> we are so glad that you're here. So let's do a little bit of introduction um, about you, Leanne. First, I always ask everybody on the podcast, what state in the beautiful Pacific Northwest do you reside in? I live in Oregon, uh-huh. in Portland. Yeah. Oh, so you're very close to me. I love Portland. The city of books yeah. is what I'm told. <laughs> oh, very, very bookish. Yes. yes it's a yes. great city for readers. It really, really is. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was, at, I was at Pals and I was, you know, oh. cruising through Pals and I could spend uh, an entire day just looking around, not even purchasing or reading books. It's just such a fabulous bookstore. <laughs> I know. It's just got such a great vibe. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. It, it is wonderful. So Leanne, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself with, let's say, let's start out with a little bit about your background. Are you a lucky writer that gets to write full time and you don't work outside the home? Or if you do work outside the home, what do you do? So I do work outside the home. Um, I am actually... Um, a server, a computer engineer. Uh, So I spend, I know I spend my days uh, thinking about servers and applications and uh, making sure that uh, things like people's email and uh, instant messaging and other applications are up and running and and working. So it's a very different mindset than the writing mindset. Absolutely, a hundred percent different. And so I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you knew this about me. I work for a university, and I'm in the College of IT. And I train. Oh, cool. I train students with their bachelor's degree to going into um, networking and security, and get them ready oh. to do that as they work on their bachelor's. So how interesting we have a commonality there. <laughs> well, and I actually have a bachelor's uh, degree in uh, English with a focus in literature. Oh, how so I'm kind. I'm exactly like the, the the profile of someone that you would be working with. That's yeah, really cool. exactly. That's cool. That's very interesting. So, how did you get into computer um, programming and applications? Uh, when I graduated from college with a degree in literature, um, I made the choice not to go on to graduate school. Instead, I took a job as a technical writer with a utility wow. company, and mm-hmm. this is actually in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and. Uh, spent several years doing that and then realized that I really preferred the computer side versus the technical writing side. Yeah. Uh, amusingly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so went into computer. Yeah. So I ended up doing computer training with, uh, you know, back then it was so long ago. It was like Lotus one, two, three, <laughs> Amipro, yeah. and then c- progressed into uh, becoming a Microsoft certified trainer nice. or, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a really fun progress, uh, pers- you know, progression. And then I made the decision to leave training and kind of go in and into the field itself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's been really a a fun and interesting journey. Well, in the field has more money than trainers do. So everybody that listens to me knows, you know, I'm in education. I choose education (laughs) because I love to work with students and I love that journey that they go through. But I know with my background, I do miss that. Yeah. And my background, I could go out and make some pretty dang good money. My background is Mm -hmm. in um, Oracle database construction. Oh, 
Yeah, so you I, could. My husband's like, you know, you could go make great medical. Yeah, but I also don't like the environment necessarily. I work from home, right. so why would I want to yeah. go, you know, into that again? So I love, I love what I'm doing now with students. <laughs> oh, I bet it's so much fun. I miss teaching. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was, yeah. it was really fun, enjoyable. It, it, it's very so. enjoyable, but it can be taxing as, you know, any job. Yeah. There's some taxing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, well, one other point I want to point out that I always like to mention, because when I get female students coming in, I'm like always excited. So because there's still quite a bit of it's getting better, but there's still a ratio male to female in the tech world is, you know, a little interesting. For sure. So you were pushing that boundary pretty early on as a female in the tech world. So congratulations. I'm glad you did it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been it's been it's generally been a good thing. Uh, but it has had its moments. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure. Yeah, I know those moments. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I bet. I'll well, bet. <laughs> well, let's jump into a little bit more about you. I like to ask this tricky question. Um, you probably, mm-hmm. since I, I did prep you a little bit with questions, so I think you might know this one's coming. Um, but what is the, what's one thing you would like to let new readers know about you? And it could be about your writing or it could be about you that they won't know about you unless you tell us today. Ooh, that's a fun one. Um, let's see. Uh, what would they not know about me without? I um, think that, I guess one thing is I, my favorite book is Alice in Wonderland. And I have six tattoos that are all related to the John Tunnell drawings from Alice in Wonderland. That's so super cool. <laughs> I just got chilled. Yay. You're definitely a Northwest Portland gal. I am. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, uh, but I actually got my very first one. Uh, it's been 25 years. So yeah, yeah. back when, back in the day when, when nice girls didn't really get that tattoos. Get uh, yep. I have yeah, a I, I, few were the same way. <laughs> I had to yeah, them. <laughs> exactly. So I got one on my, on my leg and, uh, spent a lot, a lot of years just knowing I knew it was there and a few people knew it was there, but most people didn't. And yeah. it's been nice that tattoos are much more socially acceptable now and, and just, can be such an expression. It is. So. It, I'm happy about it. So funny story. So me too. My first tattoo was way like 25 years ago. I'm like, nice. I can't even remember how it was so long ago. And, um, because I was in the music culture with my husband, it was nothing for, yeah. for that. Right. But for all the other yeah. culture around me, it was very, very, um, not, not cool for girls to get tattoos. And mm-hmm. I remember, um, I was, I was not the heaviest tattooed. I had one other girlfriend who, so my kids were, our kids were very little going into, going into school. And there's one other mom that had a nose piercing like me. And she was, she had full sleeve tattoos. And I remember um, her and I going in one day to do some work with the kids, you know, the mom parent mom day thing. And the kids were just mesmerized by us. You know, they're like, what's (laughs) that nose thing you got? And all those tattoos, you know, they're just, and we both laughed because we were the oddballs, you know, we were the rebellious moms. Right. And now I look around and I'm like, Oh, it's so not true anymore. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool. I think it's great actually. Yeah. 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 Well, our family, my, our oldest was the last one to get a tattoo and she always complained, I'm the one in my nuclear family doesn't have a tattoo yet. Everybody else does. So she, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So, 
So let me give you another stumper question to get to know you a little bit. When did you know that you were an author? Was it young in uh, life? Was it later in life? You know, it's, it's, I, as a kid, I would say as a kid, absolutely. I told stories to myself. Uh, you know, obviously I was, uh, well, not obviously, maybe not obviously. I was a voracious reader, um, yeah, yeah. but I also was was always making up stories. You know, to, to get myself to sleep at night, I would tell myself stories, um, and to I was always the one uh, with our neighborhood friends. We lived across the street from a really awesome creek, and we played in it all the time. And I was always making up stories that would, you know, maybe they would, people would line up and, and be a part of the story or, or be rebellious and ignore me. Um, <laughs> but every, yeah, every, everything that I was always doing was, was, I was building a story around it. And it, you know, it, part of it was being a shy kid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it was a coping mechanism, you know, it's all those things, but it was, it was just a, a way to sometimes just entertain myself. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely was in my mind as a kid too. Stories were my outlet. And, but I, I've talked about this in the podcast before I had this, I have dyslexia. And so reading mm. and writing for me as a younger child was very challenging. I also had a lot of people be shocked by this. I had a speech impediment as well. And huh. so for a very long time when I was little in, I think first and second grade, I, I was afraid to talk to anybody because of it went through therapy in school. Thank goodness my parents got me into the school therapy with it, you know, so that I could learn to talk well. But it took all the way up to college and through adult life to get to the place where I can do a podcast confidently now. You know, That's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, but stories in my head and reading was like my thing. So I, I hear yeah. with that. Being of reading, you know, being an avid reader when you're younger, we hear as authors all the time, you know, to be good authors, you need to be reading, which, you know, time is limited. So I like mm-hmm. to ask the authors that are on the podcast, what are you currently reading now, if anything? So I'm always reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm usually, I'm a writer. I'm someone that usually reads one book at a time. I know some people read multiple at a time. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of single threaded. Um, I read pretty quickly. So, but right now I'm doing, in, indulging in a reread of some Terry Pratchett books that I love. Um, specifically I'm reading, uh, making money right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll probably read a couple more Terry Pratchett books coming up. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers. Uh, and then I recently saw To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. And it's another one of my favorite books. And I'm probably going to reread that fairly soon. <laughs> yeah, well, so I was going to say, you know, I'm kind of in this reread phase. Um, and I need to probably get out of it and, and start looking at some fresh things. But sometimes it's just comforting to reread some fun books. I like reading familiar books. It, it feels yeah. like uh, being with a good friend again. You yeah, know? Exactly. You know, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen because I already know what's going to happen. So I can just ease into <laughs> listening to the author write, you know, so that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. You know, my writers group, we were just talking, I'm in this really great writers group and we were just talking about that Broadway um, To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. version. And, so um, good. Yeah, some of them have been able to see it, and and they're going back and rereading the book too, which is interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, you really want to after you've seen it. Yeah, awesome, really cool. Um, so, and I'm currently reading. I'm a one book 
reader too. I have a lot of books on my bookshelf to read, but I'm currently <laughs> reading the Michelle Obama book that just recently came out. Oh, and, it's um, on the list. Yeah, yeah. I, I grabbed it right away and I wanted to go to her um, book, big book reading. She opened up mm. one in Portland and yeah. um, put it, I asked my family to get tickets for me for my birthday slash um, Christmas present. And by the time, I mean, they were really on top of it, but boy, the tickets skyrocketed in price. So we just oh, decided not to do it. So I was a little bit disappointed. I was going to write Michelle and tell her how disappointed I was, but that's okay. She's not in control of that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know that the, it actually had to be moved to a different date. Oh, they because did? Was, yeah, I stopped yeah. looking at it because I was like, I'm just over it. I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I totally hear that. I'm yeah. not going. I didn't get tickets either, so I'm in the yeah. same boat as you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know who did get the tickets. I honestly, I kind of feel like there was a little bit of scalping going on, and that's what the, mm. is disappointing, but you never know. Yeah, I hope you never know. I hope somebody in my group, hopefully they've gone and they can tell me all about it because I just would have loved to had had here to hear her um my husband's like your ambition is to interview her someday and i'm like i will never get michelle obama on the podcast are you kidding me that will never happen don't say never you <laughs> never know <laughs> However, i would love it i would love it but yeah. you know i don't know so i'm enjoying her book it's it's she's a great writer and the thing i like cool. is that you can really hear her personality in the book so it's it's really fun to read so i'm enjoying that thank you Okay, writing process. Let's talk about your writing process. Um, tell me, can you tell me a little bit about, um, like, do you have a specific time of the day you write? How do you structure your writing? Um, that seems to be a big struggle for new, you know, new writers wanting to really commit to the craft is finding the process, the time to really commit to it. So what do you do? a really good question, especially since I have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, so I have, I've done several different things and I find quite frankly that I just can't write during the week. I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can understand, you know, mm -hmm. you get home, you're tired, the brain's yeah. done. Yeah. So it's, for me, it's writing on Saturdays and Sundays and I do a couple of different things. It really depends on where I am in the writing process so let's say that I'm doing new, fresh writing, mm -hmm. not editing. I have a little office at home and I put on headphones and I typically listen to movie music soundtracks, mm -hmm. instrumental soundtracks, mm -hmm. and kind of gets me in the right mindset. And I just write either longhand or on the computer. Oh, you write um, longhand? Sometimes I, when I'm writing an action scene, uh -huh. it's actually more visceral to write longhand. For me. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, probably nobody but me can read it because it's so messy. <laughs> but, but then when, when I'm editing or kind of struggling with, with a scene, I actually will go to a coffee house typically. Oh. I, a lot of times I'll go to case study downtown and write there. Something about being admit among people quiets the inner critic around me. Huh. I don't know what that is. That's yeah, a great it's, point. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's almost like that that hubbub behind you, the conversation, the coffee house mm -hmm. talking and everything. Just it's it's just you're you makes me realize I'm just a part of life and part of the flow. 
I, so. I really like that tip. I may borrow that tip myself because I think <laughs> editing is the part that that's currently what I'm in the middle of doing is I'm rewriting chapters of the, my first book and oh, cool. working with my writer group on it. So we meet every two weeks and we send each other, we're all in one draft of a book, even though three of them are already published authors. So I was, they were gracious enough to ask me to be a part of the group. And they, I'm like, okay, I don't even have a book published, but they're like, we can help you. And I'm like, oh, I'm on this. This is exciting. So yeah, <laughs> um, that's a good so, group. Yeah, it's a great, they're very, very positive, encouraging, just I've learned so much. And um, so we do, we do submit each, every two weeks to each other, we meet together. But I'm finding that editing, I get so distracted with editing, I, I almost cringe at editing, I'm doing it, and I like it. But when I'm doing it at home, I will want to go do something else. I'll go on Facebook or Instagram or something else, you know, because it's like, oh, this is painful. Editing just sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it helps me to say I'm going to go to the coffee house for one to two hours. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't make it open-ended. I make it very close-ended. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, okay, I'm, I'll arrange to meet a friend for coffee and I'll go an hour too early. Oh, I and, like yeah. mm-hmm. and it kind of gives me a reward at the end of it. I, I think that's really valuable. So other writers that are out there listening to this podcast, this is some great advice. I'm going to actually implement this, Leanne, into my world. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I have discovered with my writing process, I absolutely have to create some sort of deadlines, even though I don't have a deadline for my book to be published because I'm not working in a publishing situation yet. I have to create like chapter deadlines for when I write the chapter and then I have to create a deadline to go back and edit it. Otherwise, I'm going to flounder and I'll never do it. And then I'll be like, oh, you know, I really just going to get the book out someday. (laughs) So I actually planned it all out. (laughs) That's, I think deadlines are so valuable. And like you said, you can self-impose deadlines mm -hmm. and you can give yourself rewards for meeting those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's something I talk about a lot with my students, you know, for them to get through as adult students to get through schoolwork. And so I tell them all the time, I'm practicing this exact same thing in my own, we call this the side hustle. My podcast oh, yeah. writing life is a side hustle. And, and I explained <laughs> to them, you know, for me to get what I have to get done and work full time and still be part of a family, a legitimately lively family, you know, I can't check out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have to create weekly deadlines and I have to meet them. So then I help encourage them to do the same thing. So, so cool. So you, you talked a little bit about editing. Do you work with the editor? Do you have a, a writer's group you work with? How do you do your editing process? Um, so I also have a writer's group like you, and it sounds like it's set up very similarly. We we submit chapters. We meet every two weeks. Um, um, there's seven of us, mm-hmm. and four of us are published. Mm-hmm. So that's so, and and we're all at different places in our publishing career. Mm-hmm. That and so that's really helpful that we 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 all have different advice. So so they they help like like you, I'm getting that wonderful feedback from them. Mm-hmm. We've been meeting for, I think, nine years. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of trust built up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're probably very, um, very close friends, you know, at that point. Yeah. yeah. We, we've been, we've been through a lot and, and we, we've found that we can be honest with each other. Mm-hmm. The interesting that I, thing that I find about feedback that I get some very often the feedback that makes me the most angry or irritated 
is the best feedback. Uh-huh. Yes, no, this is a phenomenon I experienced just recently because my group was so gracious. They kept telling me, Vicki, you're, you're doing this over and over and over again. And I was listening to them, but I was just so focused in on writing the next chapter that I wasn't trying to fix these errors, you know? Mm-hmm. And I finally got mad at myself because I'd heard it twice. And I'm like, okay, I'm not being a good student. I'm not being, you know, I'm giving them crap because they keep telling me the, the same error, right? So I need to fix this. So the last round, I literally spent time researching on how to fix it. I meticulously went through that next chapter that I was going to send to them, came back and when we all met together and it was the most rewarding experience to explain to them how I was so annoyed with the feedback because I heard it twice, but I didn't hear it, right? I was ignoring yeah. them. But I value their <laughs> input so much and who they are in helping to develop me that I, I had to learn how to do what they're explaining to me to do. And it really changed my writing in that next chapter. It was phenomenally different. And um, so it, I can't talk enough and I probably will continue to talk on this podcast about uh, the right writers group. Mm-hmm. So since you ha- you've been in one for nine years, did you ever have the experience where there wasn't a great fit with an individual and, and you kind of had to fire them or have them remove or they remove themselves? Were there any situations <laughs> like that? Because we talked about that in our writers group. Yeah. Um, so we, fortunately in this writers group, we've been pretty steady and anyone that's come in that hasn't really been a good fit has sort of self, self-removed them. That's nice. That's easy. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's been good. Um, But I was actually in a writing group before this one that was not a great fit. And Mm -hmm. fortunately, I fortunately I I guess they we we just stopped meeting. We just it didn't work out. Um, But you know, I, I really would encourage people to to be open with themselves about what they want from a writer's group. And if they go and they meet with one and they, it doesn't fit, that's okay. Find another one. Exactly. Create one of your own. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not one way to do that. It, there's multiple ways. It, and it's and it so means, true. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. I interrupted again. Oh, no, I, was just saying, <laughs> I think we're going to say the same thing. It just, it needs to be the right fit for you for where you want to go with your writing. It is a hundred percent. It's hundred percent true. And so the message, I hope that any listener out there that is thinking about joining a writer's group or, or is in a writer's group, but every time they meet, they might feel like they're not getting, they're more negative or more self doubt is put into them um, versus being positive and it being a positive experience. It's okay to exit out of that group when it's okay to find what you need. Our time is so limited, you know, and you've got, you know, this creative process is so personal. You have to make sure you're lined up with people that are going to be positive and helpful feedback, not negative. And my big fear was getting in a group that I would feel negative experiences with. Um, luckily for yeah. me, that hasn't happened. So <laughs> that's really cool. And one thing I'll, I'll say from my experience, uh, that I wouldn't have thought of before I joined this group. So I am the only fantasy sci-fi writer uh, in my group. Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. a couple of mystery writers, a couple of YA writers, and then one, uh, writer who kind of does some nonfiction as well as fiction. So one of the things that I like about that is every genre has shortcuts that they can take when writing that readers are used to readers of that genre. 
And um, by not having my writing group be genre readers, they've they've really pushed me to make my fantasy writing, I think, more global. Yeah. For you know, so I, I like that. Yeah. Uh, they don't I, always appreciate the dragons that I put in the story, <laughs> but you know that's okay. <laughs> no, I agree. I how I stumbled in the situation. So I'm working on historical fiction, and oh. so two of the authors that are with that work are working with me. Um, they're reporters. So they, they were, um, you know, investigative reporters for newspapers or they were an editor for the newspaper. So I don't know how I meant it was fantastic to get into that situation, but they're not writing that kind of work. One's a screenwriter, like a screenwriting for plays. So she, that's what she works on, but she knows she's so great with plot and um, Mm. character development and amazing input. And then one is, a writer, he's working on a um, criminal, uh, criminal background, like um, crime book, you know, and murder kind of mystery thing. And I would never have thought of working with somebody like that because uh, it's just a different angle than what I'm going with. And the others are very traditional ones, kind of historical fiction. And the other one is definitely contemporary fiction. So it's so much fun to have these dialogues with them about my characters because they're pointing out things I would have never have thought of. And yeah. I didn't realize I had such a criminal mind because <laughs> I'm like pointing out all these things. <laughs> no. I'm like, wait a minute, that couldn't have yeah. happened or this and that, you know, so it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. Fun. Yeah. Definitely when you find a writer group, it might be advantageous to be with different genres because <laughs> it makes it a lot more fun. Yeah. So speaking of genres, you mentioned, you know, what genre you write in. So let's talk about your works that you've published, what genre it is, and give us the titles, and we'll get started talking about that, the publishing process. Okay. Okay. So um, I have a, a trilogy called the Supernormal Legacy Trilogy. And the first two books are out. The first book is called Dormant. That's what I'll be reading from today. And the second book is called Root. And the third book will be out on May 21st, and it's called Emerge. Oh, nice. And yeah, and so it's, it's young adult fan. The, the, the whole trilogy is young adult fantasy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then I have um, a short story in an anthology called Strongly Worded Women. And it's my... Uh, my zombie apocalypse view of the world and it's called the zombie apocalypse rescue agency <laughs> I, 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 know. I love the title i love it and i'm a yeah. huge if you you probably haven't re- listened to the podcast but i am a huge <laughs> apocalypse fan i just i don't know if it's just what's going on trending or but right. i love the idea of the apocalypse writing you know there's just so many avenues you can go down <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, definitely check out my short story. I I had a lot of fun writing it. I love it. I love it. So let's talk about your publishing because we met through your publisher, um, Ben, who um, came on the podcast and his podcast listeners has already been released by the time we get to Leanne. So you've already met him if you listen and you're continuing to listen. So um, I was had the opportunity to invite you on the podcast after talking to Ben. So let's talk about your publication journey. Did you start out right out with a publication with... um, uh, tra- we'll say it traditional, you know, cause I, I feel like you mm-hmm. are traditionally published or did you do some self-publishing first and landed into where you're at now? Kind of walk us through that. Okay. So, uh, my publishing career started seven or eight years ago, uh, with a different publisher. Uh, so I, I've 
always been traditionally published, but the way that I got into it might not be traditional. Um, Mm -hmm. I um, entered a short story contest about Mm -hmm. eight or nine years ago and uh, won the contest. And it was for what is the chapter of the first chapter of dormant. Oh, and yeah, it kind of all went all together. And this was with a different publisher. Uh, So I won the contest, got published in in an anthology and they also said, hey, we liked your writing. If you turn this into a novel, we would love to take first look at it. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. of course I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> doing that now. Fit right there. Woo-hoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I did write the first book and, and I ended up getting published by that publisher. And they actually published uh, Dormant and Root. But that, so, so that was nice, uh, but it kind of became a situation where the publisher, the, so the first publisher was not doing a great job. They, they mm-hmm. didn't help with, they didn't do a great job with editing. They didn't do a great job with the book covers. They didn't do any marketing. And, and I mm-hmm. am fully aware that all writers must do a lot of their own marketing, but yeah. it's nice when the publisher helps. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. So there was just a lot of things that as a new writer, I didn't have the confidence to push back on. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is a lesson that I've learned. Be confident in what you want and how to ask for it. Gotcha. So I realized that I was... And, and then another thing that they were not sending royalties oh, at all. that's a big no-no. <laughs> I'd have right. So that. <laughs> it was not cool. Yeah. So I ended up... Uh, to make a long story short, I ended up um, parting from that publisher in a friendly way. We parted on friendly terms. Yeah. Um, no, no point in burning bridges. And mm-hmm. around that time, uh, Ben uh, from Not A Pipe Publishing contacted me to be an advanced reader for uh, one of the books, uh, Superhero Guy, that is, that is published through Not A Pipe. It's a really excellent book. So mm-hmm. I, did a, I was an advanced reader. I provided a review. And I was just really impressed with how Ben and Paige were handling the writing publishing process for mm-hmm. in, for Superguy. So mm-hmm. I contacted Ben, told him that, and told him I was looking for a publisher, asked him to read Dormant and tell me what he thought, would he be interested. And it really just went from there. They read Dormant, they read Root, loved them. They said that they would take on the series. They wanted to change the covers. They wanted to do some editing. And, you know, it just all fell into place. So, so I got into it non-traditionally by winning a contest, which I think is a really fun way to get published. Absolutely. And yeah, I definitely recommend it. But then I also learned how to become more of an advocate for me as a writer mm-hmm. with my publisher. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really big lesson to learn. I think it's a huge lesson to learn. And thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. What's really interesting, the Writer's Digest magazine that just came out this week, mm. um, the newest version of it, there's a couple of great articles in it. One was encouraging um, writers to submit to competitions um, mm-hmm. for the fact of, you know, just to do the access of actually submitting is such a great yes. process. But you sometimes get very viable feedback from the, you know, readers. But also they talk about the opportunities that can come up, like what you're talking about. Like you almost had like the perfect scenario. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 the, it's the dream scenario that I think many of us writers would like to... Um, fall into, right? We get discovered because right. 
we submitted something and it was great and somebody loved it and they wanted to move forward with it with us. But I love the fact that, that you did that. But I also love the fact that you, you talked to us about the lessons learned in the publishing mm-hmm. industry. The thing that I'm finding when I'm listening to a lot of authors is um, having that really great partnership with a publisher. Mm-hmm house it doesn't matter if it's yeah. a small publishing house or a big one you have to have a great partnership with them and feel like you're getting something out of it and that is so true and and honestly not a pipe publishing is absolutely that partnership they really care about their writers um it's it, you know it, they're creating a family and mm-hmm. and i and i really feel that and i really appreciate that it's yeah. been so much fun to, to be with them and i'm kind of glad in a way that i have the contrast i know what, what it could be like when it's not great. Mm-hmm. So it makes me appreciate it when it's great a lot I think, more. I think that that is the only way to, you know, sometimes we have to go through the trials to realize how beautiful exactly. a lot of things on the other side. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So, well, awesome. What a great story. And I hope that inspires any other listeners that are in the mm-hmm. process of wanting to, you know, become a published author. It's a great story of, of how to do it. I hear so many different stories from self-publishing to yours. And it's like, there's so many opportunities. You just got to mm-hmm. actually put yourself out there to do it. That's the key. Right. Which is very scary, but you get, you get over that. Oh, well, it's no, horrifying. You, don't. It's but you, horrifying. Just, you just keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's horrifying. But boy, once you get through a couple of times, you're just like, oh, I got this. You know, just keep yeah. going. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah okay. you know, if, yeah. if you never put yourself out, you'll never get published. It, no sure. one's going to come to your house and read your stuff and no. tell you it's awesome. They're just nope. not. No, that's not, that doesn't happen. That happens in Hollywood nope. maybe, but it doesn't happen in reality. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe like, you know, if you're, uh, you know, who is it? Uh, Kafka or someone like oh, that. Yeah. And they find your stuff after you're dead. No, exactly. <laughs> but who wants that? You want to feel No. I don't want it when I'm dead. Yeah. Get it. <laughs> exactly. I want to be here to appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you, talk, you already talked a little bit about your writing group. So do you have any other suggestions for... Uh, aspiring um, publishing authors about support groups. Do you have other type of support groups online, anything like that you can share with us? Yeah. um, So I absolutely believe that building your writing community in, in whatever way you need to is such, so valuable. And I mean, because, you know, so, and that can, as we've discussed, mean a writing group, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, one thing I've really enjoyed doing is taking writing classes mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. town. So there's, there's, a, I, I'm sure that any city has places where you can take writing classes. I've t- typically done them, you know, eight week, 10 week courses that meet once a week, you know, on novel writing, whatever. Um, that's a great way, obviously, to become a better writer as well as meet people. Yeah. So it's, it's how I met uh, one of the folks that, asked me to join their writing group. Yeah. Um, I'm also a member of a couple of different organizations, you know, like Willamette Writers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are great ways, you know, because they'll have meetings, they'll have conferences. And, you know, a lot of writing is so lonely. I mean, you know this, you're mm-hmm. writing, yes. editing, all that. <laughs> yeah. yep. You spend a lot of time alone. <laughs> um, yeah. I think being able to share the parts that you can share really just they give you confidence they they give me a chance to to find out about opportunities i found out about the writing contest that i mentioned mm-hmm. um through someone in my writing group mm-hmm. so i would mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have done it so yeah. Yeah. so i think 
getting jo- taking classes, joining a group, joining an organization. Um, some people love to go to all the events in a particular organization. I don't always have time because, as yeah. we discussed, I work full yeah. time. Yeah, that's so I do what I can. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so I don't really do anything online necessarily, but I like. I think that's a great idea for folks that want to want to handle things like that. I know yeah. a lot of folks that have enjoyed that kind of work. Yeah. I, um, fan, I yeah. fantasize about having the days when I'm not working and I could, you know, schedule out going to conferences and, you know, right. my goal is to be at that place in retirement, you know, and still be viable yes. young enough in retirement that I can go and be very active in the writing community face to face. I dream about it. That's like my whole, <laughs> <laughs> but as you know, yeah. full time family yeah. and life, you know, and trying to write, you know, you get your time's mm-hmm. limited. So, but I love it. It's the, so I, limited. I love the fact that you mentioned really doing classes because I really feel more and more I'm discovering um, through talking to other authors and just in my own journey that writing is a skill. It's a craft and classwork or class environments really help to like, um, it's like um, building on, you know, foundations you've already laid, like the little fermentation is going on in there. Mm -hmm. He can walk away and and have some new skills um, for the, for the whole process and the craft. So I like that you do classes. It's great. And I would say, you know, for someone that's an aspiring writer and has, is afraid to show their work. Mm-hmm. I, I was very much at a point, you know, many years ago where I was writing, but I never showed anyone. Cause I was like, ah, I don't know. Um, so one of the first places I showed my work was in a writing class and it was completely terrifying. Oh but yeah. The plus of it was that I was able to get great feedback that I could then act on yep, and improve exactly. on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we've talked about with other authors on the podcast about my terror of sharing my work and, and the progression <laughs> I've gone through over this year because this podcast is, was really a genesis of me going and asking authors, what did you do? How did you get to where you're at? And I'm like, there's such great information. I'm putting it in a podcast. Yeah, and that's so um, cool. Yeah. And but I I was uh, genuinely like hyperventilating when I sent my first chapter off to my writer's group because they didn't really know me that well and I didn't know them super well. They just invited me in. I was telling my oldest daughter, I just sent it and I'm totally terrified. She's like, mom, you'll be fine. <laughs> but that, that's, a genuine, <laughs> that's a genuine fear that some people might not be able to get over and get through. But the one thing that I found after I got through that first fear stage of it, and then the second fear stage was listening to feedback and accepting feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, It has become my favorite part of my month is sitting and getting together with people and talking about it because I'm no longer in my head by myself. I can have other people join me and (laughs) and it's a lot of fun. It's a totally great way to put that. Yeah. 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 It's way less lonely. It is way less always true. So let's get started because my listeners love to listen to us babble about the writing process. And and, but I know they're really more interested in hearing your work. So um, so so let's launch into that. Tell us again about what you're going to read. Fill us in with a little bit of backstory that you can share that doesn't destroy the whole you know series of the books. (laughs) Okay. And then you can go ahead and, and then I will be quiet and listen and then I will take out the podcast and when you're done reading. Okay. Um, so this is going, I'm going to be reading from uh, the first book in the Supernormal Legacy Trilogy uh, from Dormant. And the premise behind 
the series is I my main character is Olivia Woodson, and she's 14 years old when the series starts, and she was born into a superhero family. When she was seven years old, her mother died uh, trying to save, um, and you'll, you'll hear this in the chapter, uh, trying to save some folks from a supervillain. And at that time, Olivia decided that she never wanted to be a superhero. She just didn't want to have power. She just wanted to be a normal person. And so she rejected her powers and, and that side of her family. And now it's seven years later, and she's pretty much been successful at being normal. Uh, but now she's being faced with her heritage coming back to, I don't know if it really haunts her, but just coming back to to be, you know, to be, to make her aware of her powers and it gives her, so I really wanted to explore the idea thinking about, uh, you know, Batman and Spider-Man and how they became heroes through a traumatic, tragic death in a family. And they, they use that to turn themselves into, into heroes and people fighting for justice. I thought, what if the opposite happened? If somebody was in a hero family found out that that was just a dark path that they didn't want to take and, and rejected it. Would they ever actually be able to to follow through on that? Uh, so that's the premise of the entire series. Uh, it's set in Portland and kind of set in the here and now. And I will just go ahead and dive on in. So I'm going to be reading from chapter one of book one. And this is actually uh, what part of what uh, was the, uh, won me the contest uh, several years ago. And then it turned into chapter one. All right. So dormant chapter one. I crouched behind the table in the bank lobby, cradling my unconscious boyfriend and watching the robbers yell and wave their guns around. One of the masked men slapped a bag in front of the teller window and demanded all of the money in the cash drawers. Another man wearing a gray ski mask shoved the bank manager towards the vault. The security guard lay dead in front of the bank entrance. Blood dribbled down the side of Jack's face where one of the robbers had clobbered him for refusing to give up his cell phone. I glanced at the bag holding our cell phones in the middle of the floor and then at the robber yelling at the teller. I was sure I saw blood on the barrel of his gun. The woman next to me was crying and saying over and over, someone make them stop. Crap. She had to go there. I could have stopped the bank robbers easily if things had been different. If I hadn't rejected my so-called sacred destiny and most of my family seven years ago at my birthday party. My eyes strayed to the last robber who stood near the ATMs. He had barely moved since the criminals had burst into the lobby. What was he waiting for? This is a robbery. Shouldn't he be robbing? My mom would have wasted no time jumping into action. I imagined her springing silently over the table, knocking out the first robber, and then swinging from the light fixtures to attack the other robbers from above. Then she would have brought Jack back to consciousness and found a way to bring the security guard back to life. Okay, maybe that last part wouldn't have happened. I took Jack's hand. It lay limp in mine. I tried to calculate how long he'd been unconscious, but I was so shaken up by the suddenness of the robbery and the quick succession of them demanding our phones, making us cower on the floor, and Jack getting knocked out that my sense of time was off. 
Jack was so pale and still, I was worried he might have a concussion. It didn't matter what mom would have done. My mom couldn't do anything because she was dead. Dead at the hands of terrorists while she was trying to save 30 school children. I was one of those school children. My powers weren't very strong yet, but I still ran to help her. When she saw me, her eyes widened in fear and her shield slipped just a little. But it was enough. Enough for the blast from the bombs to hit her, sending her spinning deeper into the inferno. My last memory of mom was her yelling at me, run, Olivia, run. And shame on me, I ran to safety along with all the other children. That's when I decided there was no way in hell I was ever going to follow in my mother's family's footsteps. I wasn't going to be like my grandfather, my uncles, or my mom. I wasn't going to be a supernormal. Nothing crappier than a life of pain and secrecy coupled with an ungrateful public and an early death. But in the dark of night, I could admit my guilt. Mom would still be alive if I hadn't distracted her. The first robber yelled at the bank teller, hurry up, damn it. He glanced in the direction of the vault and shouted to the gray masked robber, dude, get your ass in gear. The teller was shaking as she shoved money into the bag. She dropped some on the floor and bent to pick it up. I heard her retching. I wanted this to be over. I wanted Jack to be okay. I wanted to go back to the normal life I'd been pursuing for the past seven years. Since I'd rejected my destiny at seven, the normal course of events, full abilities manifesting at 13, intensive training, and mentoring by another supernormal, my first challenge, hadn't happened. Somehow I'd managed to reject my potential abilities such that they were a ghost of what they would have been. I got to be a normal kid, albeit one with a dead mother and a sad father who didn't know about my mother's powers or mine. The supernormal side of the family barely acknowledged me, though I got rather pointed presents from them on birthdays, X-Men comics, collector's swords, the latest Batman movie. I leaned forward and my long hair brushed Jack's chest. Another reminder of how I was different from my family, long hair, tight jeans, wide cuff bracelets, and revealing tops. All typical attire for a high school student, but my mom never would have allowed me to have long hair. Too easy to grab in a fight. And tight jeans? Forget about it. It's hard making a flying leap if you're worried that your jeans might split. As for the bracelets, I could hear mom saying, I'm not Wonder Woman. I don't need bracelets to stop bullets. I was shaken from my reverie when the first robber started yelling at the bank teller again. The robber by the ATM was still, as if he'd been locked in place by my aunt's freeze beam. I looked around the lobby at the rest of the hostages, mostly folks my grandparents' age with some people in suits and the few in jeans scattered around. If Jack were awake, I would be furious at him for insisting on depositing his 15th birthday check the old-fashioned way, using a teller. He was quirky that way. My heart leapt when Jack groaned and his hand tightened in mine. His eyes fluttered open, and we stared at each other for a moment before he said, Ollie, what the hell? I tried to smile, but failed. I kept my voice soft. Do you remember where we are? He tried to turn his head to look around, but it winced. He looked at me with panic. The bank, right? It's being robbed? 
The yelling bank robber notices talking. Shut up. He lifted his gun suggestively. Or it'll be more than the barrel of a gun you feel. The lady next to me muttered, keep quiet, you two. She wiped the tears running down her face. I nodded, not wanting to call more attention to us. I felt an ember of shame, but I pushed it down. Jack attempted to sit up, and I helped bring him bring him to a more comfortable position where he could see what was going on. His lips tightened when he saw the dead guard. The bank manager and the gray masked robber came back from the vault. Gray mask gripped the manager by the, his arm and dragged him over to yelling guy. The manager was shaking and sweating. Gray mask gestured impatiently to frozen guy who jerked into motion and slowly moved to his side. The robbers held a hissing conversation that left all three men angry. Still holding on to the manager, gray mask faced the rest of the lobby. Who knows how to access the records of safety deposit box owners? His voice was calm and reasonable, which made his next words even more chilling. If you don't come forward, I'll shoot this useless bastard. He aimed his gun at the man's head. The manager's knees buckled, but the robber shook, shook him hard. Stay with me, asshole. He looked at the hostages. Hurry up. He pulled the hammer back on the gun. There was a profound silence before an older man stepped forward. He wore a blue suit with a red tie, and his bank employee tag said, Mr. Benson. He spoke quietly. I can help you find the information. Graymass nodded. Good man. He looked at the manager. You, go sit over there and don't move, or my associate will shoot you. He nodded at Frozen Guy. The manager scuttled off and sat, as if his legs could no longer hold him. Mr. Benson came to a desk, over to a desk, sat down, and started typing on the computer. Gray mask stood behind him, his gun held loosely, but obviously at the ready. He spoke so softly to Mr. Benson that I couldn't hear his orders. Or truthfully, I didn't try. Though I'd rejected my powers, I still had better senses and more strength than normal humans. When I'd gone out for soccer, it had been a moral dilemma for me, since I was so much better than everyone else. I had told myself I would try to hold back, and I did, mostly. Jack stirred next to me. He was gritting his teeth and muttering, we've got to stop them, Olivia. They're going to hurt more people. I put a quelling hand on his shoulder. Jack's the one who should have been born into a superhero family. He was the guy who stopped bullies from beating up geeks. He never passed a homeless person without giving a handout. If he had powers, he would have ended the robbery in seconds. I was afraid he was right about the robbers. If I'd had my phone... I would, would I have had the courage to call my mother's family, even though they probably hung up on me for being such a major disappointment? I looked around the lobby at, scared, at the scared and shaking people. An elderly couple clutched each other's hands and seemed to be praying. A man in a suit sat with his arms around his knees and shivered. Yes, even though it would mean groveling, I would call my family to save these people. That thought made me feel a little better about myself, a little stronger. I straightened up, then froze. One of the hostages, a small man dressed in construction worker clothes, was moving slowly towards the desk where Gray Mass stood. I instantly saw his plan. If he could get close enough, he might be able to overpower the robber and take his gun. Gray Mask turned around, and I almost yelled to the small man to watch out, but he had already stopped moving. What are you doing? Gray Mask asked and my heart beat hard until I realized he was talking to yelling guy. 
Don't stand there like an idiot. Start clearing out the vault. We don't have a lot of time before the police get here. Yelling guy looked sullen but headed into the vault. Frozen guy started to follow, but gray mask waved him off. Jack and I shared a look, both thinking the same thing. Why had the robber and manager come out empty-handed? Why was Gray Mask interested in the list of safety deposit box owners? Hurry up, Gray Mask said to Mr. Benson, who was still working on the computer. Mr. Benson answered, there is no one by that name in our records. Is it possible the box was rented under a different name? He was so polite it was disorienting, given the circumstances. Damn it, Gray Mask looked furious for a moment. Then he narrowed his eyes at Frozen Guy, who sidled over. They held a soft conversation. And then Gray Mask leaned over the computer. This time I strained to hear while I watched the construction worker move closer to the desk. Look under Kareen. Kareen? I knew that name. My school nemesis was Mindy Kareen. She wasn't like a super normal nemesis, just a run-of-the-mill bully who had it in for me for some reason. Though I don't think bullies really need a reason. She had an older brother, Gary. I remember that he was a smart kid, had gotten into MIT, and was on the path to making something of himself, as my dad would say. Then he disappeared, and there were rumors of burnout and drugs. I looked more closely at Gray Mask. No, he didn't look familiar. I stared at Frozen Guy. Did his lips or the shape of his eyes under the mask look familiar? Possibly. Jack shifted beside me, and I saw him watching the construction worker. Now, great. Jack would feel like he had to help the man. I gripped his hand, and he looked at me. I shook my head slightly, and he shook his head back, rejecting my warning. Before I knew it, Jack stood up and staggered to the middle of the lobby, holding his head and moaning. Gray mass jerked around with his gun aimed at Jack. I scrambled over to Jack on my hands and knees to shield him. If I had my full powers, I could have stopped a bullet for him. But now all I could do was hope Gray Mask wouldn't shoot. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the construction workers slip closer behind Gray Mask. To distract the robbers, I started crying. My tears weren't completely fake, and I had to fight the urge to give, it, to, give in to a crying jag. Stop it! Everyone froze when Gray Mask snapped out the terse statement. He whirled around pulled the trigger, and the construction worker dropped without a word. The gunshot echoed around the lobby, and someone screamed. I gasped, and then my heart almost stopped when he aimed the gun at Jack. No heroes. How do you know? How do we know you're not going to kill us all anyway, Jack snapped. Gray Mask shrugged and waved his gun from side to side. Maybe, maybe not. I wiped the tears from my face and reached for Jack's hand. He gripped mine tightly and gave me a comforting smile. He shifted, preparing to do something heroic. I sighed inwardly. My options were narrowing. I stood up slowly, Jack's hand slipping from mine, my heart pounding and blood rushing to my head. All eyes and guns were on me. I swallowed hard. Ollie, what are you doing? Jack asked, sounding panicked and trying to grab my hand. I stepped away from him and faced Gray Mask and Frozen Guy, who were both watching me. Gray Mask with a sardonic quirk to his mouth and Frozen Guy with eyes wide. Let everyone go now. You can finish up without us. I tried to sound confident like Mom would have in this type of situation. Oh, yeah? Gray Mask grinned. 
he raised his gun and said, certainly without you, everything slowed down. I heard the gunfire and frozen guy yelled, Olivia, no. I saw the bullet moving toward me. If I ducked, it would go past me and hit Jack. I breathed in fear and my breath filled all the corners of my body. In the space of that breath and the next, I begged for help from my dormant powers, drawing on the faint stirrings I'd ignored for so long and asking for more. As I breathed out, power filled me as if the breath leaving my body made space for it. I felt electric. Everything, even the air around me, was sharper and clearer than anything I'd ever experienced. I had awakened my powers and I felt complete, like the last puzzle piece had been put in place beside me. I reached out and I felt my hand harden like armor. I plucked the bullet out of the air and noticed the sensation of heat in my hand before flinging it down where it buried itself in the floor. And I'll stop there. You'll have to read the rest to find out what happens. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I honestly can see why you won <laughs> the contest. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just sitting here on the edge of my seat going, this is so great. I can feel Thank all her inks inside of her. This is fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. It was so, so much fun to write. No. I loved writing this series. So oh, I love it. Well, I listeners, hope- I hope you're all hooked like I was. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so definitely go to the show notes, listeners, and you'll find Leanne. Um, her website will be there and information on how to get a hold of her and get a hold of her books. And then if you get a book, write a review for her and definitely mention you heard her on the podcast. It's always exciting to tie back where you heard her from. And, yeah. um, and Leanne, thanks so much for being here. You are you're a fantastic writer, so I I really appreciate thank you. It. I'm like, oh, I got goosebumps. This is exciting. Oh, thank you. Well, and I had the best time talking to you. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you bet. You bet. And maybe we'll bring you back again in the future. That would be awesome. I would look forward to it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.